welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, welcome to the show. It's really, really simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time. Usually a movie. In this case, it is a movie. And we're going to talk about it. It's really, really simple. So my guest today is a good friend of mine. He is also a lover of all things film. He loves sports. Um, we we bond over our love for mixed martial arts, but and uh, mostly movies. So my friend uh, Jake Strauss is the guest tonight. Welcome to the show, Jake. Well, thanks for having me, buddy. Is it weird to hear me like say your first and last name, Jake Strauss? <laughs> it's always weird when somebody says Jake. It it always throws me off a little bit. I feel like I'm in trouble. Well, Jacob, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> just make it worse. Uh, so. We started hanging out because we had a friend who sort of had a mutual love for movies. And so I don't really know where like your background in um, films began. Like everybody sort of has a moment where it clicked or like where they like an uncle or a dad or someone who like sort of introduced them to film and where they like fell in love. Like what's sort of your background and like maybe the first movie you remember sort of falling in love with? Uh, Well, this is kind of real simple it wasn't like a movie theater experience or anything like that it's just when i was a kid uh we had all the movie channels you know this was when you had showtime and hbo and whatnot and what we would do is we would set our vcr to record them and then as a family we would go back and watch movies and we always had this huge movie collection you know two movies to a tape and my dad went out and bought the fancy little plastic cases so you uh, could protect oh, your nice. recording movies. And uh, it's just something that um, my dad's a single parent, and uh, he didn't go out or anything like that. So a lot of time for us, entertainment was either video games or movies. So I just have always grown up loving movies. Well, it's funny. Right before we hit record, you had to ask your dad to turn down Bohemian Rhapsody, and like. He, he he's probably watching a movie right now, isn't he? Uh, he was. He went upstairs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we we watched uh, just this week. We watched a couple. Uh, we watched the new uh, Marvel movie, and uh, we watched the new Bond last night or two nights ago. And uh, he's a lover of film as well. And uh, sometimes I make him watch things he's not into, but uh, <laughs> part, he, he really he really enjoys it. Uh, he actually co-judges with me on the uh the film festival he i make him sit through them all too so yeah i didn't mention that you're also you've been a judge for the snake alley festival film uh several years because uh i i respect your opinion i like your taste in movies so um i always ask you and and you always uh are a trooper and get through people people think it's a fun job until they have to do it then it's like oh this is sort of like homework it's a lot of work to get through um, all those those films and and you know judge them fairly and make sure that you're actually paying attention and well the hardest one is always the first one because yeah. that sets the bar and you're not really sure so I usually go back after I've seen everything and kind of rewatch the early ones again to uh, compare them to what with what I really like to see where they would rank and now with airplay on the phone it makes it so much easier than actually sitting at the computer and having to, you know, now you can watch it with instant round sound on the big TV and makes it a lot easier. Yeah. But it's, it's not, a, it's not homework or anything. I really enjoy it. It's great to see what these independent filmmakers come up with. 
on like the early days when I wasn't running the fest, I was just a judge. We would like fit, there would be one copy of the movie on, on a disc. And so we would have to like set a sketch, like we'd have to schedule with my group of judges. We'd all have to be like, okay, Tuesday night, everybody's free. Let's get, go over to Tad's house. And, uh, you had to have, you know, have the actual DVD player. Cause it was actually physical DVDs. And everybody had like a sheet of paper and they'd write down their score. Then we'd go back through them, make sure that, you know, we we saw what we saw. Like you said, it's hard to set a bar. Like if you watch something really bad at first and it's like, well, you know, is this as, as bad as it gets or is it good as it gets? You don't really know until you've seen everything else. But um, you, you had to do it on paper. And then it was like, make sure that other people weren't copying because you, you can be influenced by other people. You know, it's like. You talk to somebody after you see a movie that, you know, like, that wasn't really good. And they're like, oh, I didn't think it was too bad. It's like, oh, maybe it wasn't too bad. Maybe, you know, they're right. Um, you know, so trying not to let other people influence you. I, I do think that it's nice now that it's done online because it's just, you know, you or you and your dad, like, watch. It's not a whole group of people and, and no one's going to sway you. But um, like I said, you've always been someone I could go to and be like, hey, can you track down this really rare, obscure indie movie that came out in 82 that no one, it never made it to physical media? And it's like, yeah, I'll send you an HD copy here shortly. E the email's coming. It's like, holy shit, my man. Yeah, it's a, it's a gift, uh, <laughs> I guess. The, uh, But yeah, I mean, the, the especially the theater experience can really influence you on a movie. And in that moment where people are oohing and on, you think, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you can go back and watch it by yourself and like, was it really that great? Or was it just kind of in the moment with a bunch of people? It was really, really good. And well, that sort of falls into like, you're a big Star Wars guy. So yeah. did you see the prequels in theaters when they came out? I did. I did. Um, I, I uh, The first one was just bad. <laughs> there's no the phantom menace is just bad there's no way around it but the second one attack of the clones there was some ooh and all moments you know when yoda pulls out his lightsaber and i'm in there with a the pack theater and i actually went with my buddy ea you know ea and uh the place went nuts you know it's oh it's the greatest thing ever blah, blah, blah. and then you know i go back and watch them and realize they're just not very good unfortunately <laughs> but that theater experience makes it feel so much bigger and you're in that moment and you, I mean, that's what, that's why the theater experience will never go away is you, you get trapped in that, I don't know, that bubble with these, the same people going through the same thing. And it's, it's, it, it can take over your sense of, is this good or is this just exciting for people? Right. Yeah. I, I sort of made this point when we were talking, uh, I had a group talk about Halloween kills a few episodes ago and um, I may, I went around and I asked everybody they're like to either give it, you know, um, a yay, a nay or a meh, like in the middle. And uh, it was interesting because I had the Siri. I'm like, who watched? And then I made them go around and say where they watched it, because, you know, in our weird um, way of distributing films right now, um, you know, things are hitting. If, if they're not hitting on demand the same day as Cedars, it takes like a month now. The, the theatrical window is so short. So. Um, th this movie hit Peacock at the same time it hit theaters. And I think th my theory wasn't completely proved right, but I, I feel like the people who saw it in the theater, I saw it in the pack theater right in October, 
Um, seeing Michael Myers on the big screen surrounded by other horror fans that were gasping every time he killed someone, you know, and hearing the score and seeing in the theater in the middle of October, just something about it was different. And then I, I ended up watching it later on Peacock and I'm like, okay, I can see the, the flaws everybody's pointing out. But when I'm sitting in the theater, I'm just so excited. The adrenaline's going. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's, it is a different experience. I mean, I even saw the, uh, the matrix sequels, like I did like the midnight showings, uh, looking back at that, wow, you know, people dressed up in trench coats and sunglasses and shit, and then uh, those movies got ripped apart, and I was I was a teenager, I'm like, I don't think they were that bad, I got to see cool special effects and shooting, like, I don't get it, and then, you know, later revisited them, and I'm like, oh, these do suck, like, I just was uh, taken over by the theater hype. Well, they were they were also uh, what I, I, I feel personally that a lot of movies have fallen victim to is they're great visually and then they rely on that too much and when you can you know and this the seat the second one where they have the cadillac escalade chase and the matrix and everything and it's looking it looks fantastic and everything else but then you realize there's really the plot to the movie and the acting in the <laughs> movie is just not good you know that's why i love movies and I think I was explaining this to you the uh, when you were over a couple weeks ago for the fights is I love movies that don't try to be anything than what they are. Like the John Wick movies. I love those things. I wa- I rewatch them all the time just because they don't try to be anything they're not. They're not masterpieces of film, but right. they're just they just hey, John Wick's going to kill a bunch of people and that's what we're going to do and that's what we put out there and I enjoy that. I don't have to be Something doesn't have to be overly complicated to enjoy it if it is what it is. Movies that try to be too much, like we were talking about with Tenet, mm-hmm. those really aggravate me. And I think those are kind of where people go off the rails with what could be great. And they try to they, they try to outsmart everybody. Yeah, I mean, he sort of has that career like it's been ramping up every movie and it feels like he went over the line there for me with tenant like i've been up i've been up uh with him up until this movie like i was game for it until tenant and it's still like it was visually really cool but i'm like when i have to google like what the fuck happened in a movie afterwards like i i jump in a movie to escape the world and not like create more confusion for myself. Um, and it makes me feel like an idiot. I'm like, am I, am I an idiot or is this, does not make sense. And then, and, and then if I start to think too much, I'm like, man, fuck it. I, well, I'm out. The thing, the thing is like, he proved that he could make a smart movie that made you think and still entertain you with inception. Yeah. That would, I thought that was brilliant. I love inception. And then he proved that he can do something visually spectacular without a lot of dialogue with Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, cool, he can kind of, you know, maybe marry the two. He did not. <laughs> he did not. If, if, yeah, I mean, I think of myself as a pretty smart guy sometimes, but when I, when a movie gets over and I go, what the fuck was that? You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of not into it. And I tried to watch it again and I still didn't understand it. Well, I think it doesn't help. Like he's, it's almost like he's doing this on purpose too, where his um, sound mixes are so incredibly different than everyone's. And it's like, he's doing it to be different when everyone like other directors watch these, watch his films and they're like, you might want to adjust. We can't hear what they're saying. He's like, no, it's fine. You just don't understand. It's like, maybe take some advice. Like uh, you're, you're a master, you're a great director, a great writer, but um, 
you know, maybe listen to some advice from other filmmakers when they're telling you, like, I literally don't know what they're saying because your your sound background sound and your your sound effects are so much louder than the dialogue that you that are the human ear cannot pick up what your actors are saying. And that is a problem. Like, just listen to common sense. Well, that, uh, that car chase scene in Tenet is just, that is nothing but loud noise. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just, yeah, that's terrible. It's, I, uh, I, nor- I don't really notice sound a whole lot unless it's really bad in films. And I don't know if it was you or Noah or somebody, maybe Brandon Ryan, believe it or not, somebody said they saw it in the theater and told me to, that the sound was terrible. And then I went into it and watched it, and automatically I was kind of paying attention to it. And then I just noticed, yeah, it's 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 so bad, so bad. And and like I said, it was like an open thing. Like before it even came out, you know, there was sort of a heads up about it, and other filmmakers were like, that, "That's all previews were telling him," and he just refuses. He's like, "It's it's my thing. It's like your thing is doing things poorly." Like I don't know. I mean, I guess it's different. That doesn't, you know, I, I get the idea that, you know, these th- this whole thing is right now where filmmakers, like, journalists keep asking big name filmmakers about superhero movies, and they get this quote from them, and then it makes headlines. Like, Ridley Scott was this week, uh, Martin Scorsese was, you know, last year, uh, who, uh, there's just been so many filmmakers, like, old boomer filmmakers lately, and if you bait them into saying things like, you know, hey, what do you think of superhero movies? Oh, they're not my thing. And suddenly it becomes a headline. You, you bait into, into saying that, you know, it's just it, it's the same sort of thing where I'm like, yeah, they're formalmatic. You know, they, they all follow a formula. They're all pretty. We know what's going to happen at the end. Um, but at they have a winning formula. Like you, you look at them and you think, OK, well, this movie sounds really good. I should do the opposite because I don't want to be like them. Well, maybe you should follow a little bit of what they're doing because they clearly know what they're doing and not just financially, but, you know, these movies are being watched like they're not nerd things anymore. You know, no. like like superhero movies used to be like you'd get a wedgie for saying you you like Superman. Uh, yeah. Well, Superman might be a bad example because Christopher Reeves is always badass. But, um, right. you know, I just can't imagine like the idea that these jocks that I, I went to high school with are now like, you know, they have to see the newest Marvel movie. Like it's just a, a, yeah. a staple, you know, and uh, you just saw what Shang Z or, or the uh, rings, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't, I can't remember the goddamn title and I feel like an asshole. Cause uh, I should, I mean, I've heard it's really good. It's pretty good. Yeah. But uh, I, I just, I don't know if I'm on board for the next uh, phase, I guess. What is this phase three phase Phase four, maybe? Uh, Jesus, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know if I want to commit to it. Like, I, I saw um, Black Widow, and I, I technically... I don't know what phase that's in, because it's technically before Yeah, some of these movies. It falls into it, but I'm like, now I have to watch a show on Disney Plus to keep up with it. And right. new movies, I'm like, I don't know. The Eternals doesn't look like anything I want to watch, to be honest. I don't know. I mean, The, Eterni- the Eternals is, is something I'll check out. I mean, obviously, you know. Um, and they also have that Morbius coming out with Jared Leto. I don't know how that ties in. It's, I mean, it's a Marvel movie, but is it in the cinematic universe? I have no idea. I just saw the trailer for it myself. Yeah, because it's it's a, it's one of those like weird Sony ones, like the Carnage movies, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a case. Of, yeah, it's it's a case of you know. <laughs> I hate to. 
I know a lot of people love Jared Leto, but I mean, it's just like, hey, we got a weirdo superhero. Who are we gonna get? Oh, here comes Jared Leto. Yeah, you know, it's 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 guys like him and Johnny Depp who I think get too caught up in trying to play these oddball characters instead of really showing that they can act. Well, Johnny doesn't really have that problem now because no one will hire him. But uh, yeah, I think the other problem is like with Johnny. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor. I just think that too many franchises yeah. wanted him to be the face. And suddenly it's like, do we need him in pirates, Harry Potter, uh, every fucking Tim Burton movie? Like let's, yeah. let's calm down on it a little bit and let like, we have to remember, l- l- make us re- like for miss him. So that when he comes back, it's, uh, we remember how good he was like, well, like, uh, I saw public enemies, which was, was, with was him uh-huh. playing Dillinger. And I thought he was great because he's not sitting there in the dark makeup and the weird costumes acting like a complete fucking oddball. And you realize Johnny Depp can really act, but he's when he's not, I don't know, chewing the scenery to a certain extent like he does. Have Have you seen Kevin Smith's, um, uh, not, is it Walrus? No, it's, uh, Tusk. Tusk. Yes. No, I have not. Oh my God. Like that movie would be so perfect if he would cut Johnny Depp out of it. But Kevin Smith, like, had disposal of his new-ish friend, Johnny Depp, so he decided to throw him in. And it's like, there's never been a more wasted, dumb performance. Um, He plays, like, a Canadian detective, and it's like, I'll just send you a clip. It's unbelievably bad. It does not fit the tone of the movie. It's like, hey, Johnny Depp's on set. Let's put him in this crazy makeup and make him play the zany character, and it does not fit with the rest of the movie. It's so bad. Yeah, well, that's that's Kevin Smith for you. I haven't. I love Kevin Smith. I could listen to him talk about things and movies all day. But as far as when he puts out a movie, it's generally a. If I have time, I'll check it out. It's not something I have to see. Yeah, I thought Red State was pretty decent. Um, but what did he? Oh, the Jay and Bob's reboot. Reboot. Yeah. Uh, that was. I mean, that was an hour and a half of fan service, and I'm just sort of over it. But. Uh, it wasn't nearly as bad as Yoga Hosers, and I don't even remember what else he's done, but uh, that's pretty good. Uh, there, there was one part in that or the reboot. I watched the reboot for nostalgia. There was one part that I really enjoyed is when he had Silent Bob recreate the uh, Alec Baldwin speech from Glenn Gary Gen- Glenn Roth. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> you call yourself a Klansman, you son of a bitch. I, I thought that part was great. Yeah, and he he still has moments. Even in like his bad movies, there's some really fun scenes. So you know, I I'm always here. Like you said, I'm always here for his podcast, and I've seen him speak live uh, twice now. Uh, once in Peoria, once in Iowa City. Uh, the one in Iowa City, he went so long that we literally had to like leave. Yeah, the uh, he's got a there's a documentary on him coming out too around Thanksgiving called Clerk. That I'm, yep, I'll definitely check that out. That's got my interest. You know, his it's. It's a great story, you know, basically max out his credit cards to make a movie, and we all love Clerks. It was fantastic. Still is. Still holds up very well. Yeah, Clerks 2 is great, uh, too. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought that there was a few things wrong with that, but, you know, the uh, interspecies erotica was, <laughs> was a bit much, you know, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm never for that kind of humor myself. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't mind that humor. But it there's needs to be a point to it. It's like I always, you know, 
say, you know, when somebody wants to make a dick or a fart joke or something, I have no problem with it if it fits in the context. But if you're just cramming it in to make a dick and fart joke, then it's just not all that funny. Yeah, then you probably, yeah, I feel like a lot of his newer stuff, it just feels like he's a bit out of touch with what's like, I don't know, he, he at one point, or it's like one side, he's out of touch with what's funny, but the other side, he's like a little too woke. Where yeah. He's like, I have to make a gay character, I have to do that, and it's like, I, I think that's great, but like, again, it has to be a point to it, like, don't just put them there to put them there. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I love clerk clerks too. Um, you know, the older stuff, malt rats, I fucking love. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we need a clerk three, but we're getting it either way. So, well, I, I know he wanted to do, to, uh, to do mall rats again, but apparently that, uh, somebody owns the rights to it or something. I don't. Yeah. He started to make like casting announcements. He got everybody to agree to come back. And then he talked about it being a TV series. He sort of like Rob zombie does the same thing where they announce things prematurely and then, like he hopes that he wills them into happening, which has happened with like clerk three and a few and Jay and Bob reboot. Um, you know, he, if he talks enough about it, someone will front him the money because people, the, the hype gets there. But, um, and I can't blame him. You know, he's still doing, it's funny. He, he sort of, you know, started with the indie thing, made his way up. And then the, uh, the business tried to sort of flush him down and he's still like calling his way back out of the toilet. Like I can, st- I, I can still do these things. It just won't have the same budget and audience I once had, you know, which I don't mind the, the mainstream stuff that he made. I thought, I thought cop out was pretty funny, had its moments and I did not mind Zach and Mary. And that's coming from somebody who does not like Seth Rogen. <laughs> so, you know, it's Seth Rogen is, Oh, Hey, I'm a lovable stoner and I'm going to make some jokes and, do that funny laugh and people are going to think it's hilarious. And I just, and then I'm going to start screaming at some point because I get excited. So we've heard your beef with him. What's your beef with horror? Like that's been my uh, one thing I've been trying to get, like get down to the, uh, the core of like, I know you don't have necessarily a beef with horror, but like no love for horror. Uh, there's been a few over the years that I enjoyed. Like um, there's a movie. Oh geez. I don't know. It's gotta be. 20 years old that I enjoyed a uh, ghost ship. I enjoyed that one ghost ship out of all the horror movies. You like ghost ship. I don't know why I thought it was plausible to a certain extent. Like, um, I like the opening scene that, that where the yeah. wire cuts through everybody. That, well, see, that's, yeah, that's it, what I'm talking about. Like that could happen and kill people. And then I'm done though. After that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not great, but I'm just like the super, and this is coming from somebody who does love superhero movies, the supernatural killer, uh, part of it never really interested me you know like um a movie where like natural born killers or something like that where people Mm -hmm. are just crazy but they're crazy for no reason kind of but they're still normal people that kind of gets i think is a little more creepier to me than you would love like my favorite movie john carpenter's halloween yeah i assume you've seen halloween right i have seen halloween i thought trick-or-treat was your favorite movie it's up there. It's probably in the top ten, but Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, and The Thing are probably my like one and two. Uh, one, yeah, the the original Halloween. If you take away everything, all the sequels and everything past the first one, it is. It's just like a. It's creepy because it's just a guy who breaks out of a mental institute. He's a human. He's twenty one years old, and he's he's slashing through these neighborhoods in small town Illinois. And that's what you know. There's no explanation, no reason no uh explanation as to why and that's why i've always loved that yeah that see that i can get behind but 
you know, this, he, this kid who drowned in a lake and came back and, you know, he's a giant person who's impervious to pain and wears a hockey mask. I just not, can't necessarily get behind stuff like that or somebody who kills you in your dreams. Yeah. I mean, it, as a kid, it was creepy, but, you know, as you get older, it's like, that's eh, kind of. Eh. I'm going to find you something like I, I got to find something that. OK, no. So you don't like the supernatural. Or, I mean, you don't. That's not your preference. I'm going to like ta- find a tailor made horror movie that's going to win Strauss over. <laughs> oh, hey, you, you send me one. I'll watch it. OK, that will be my like next. Uh, uh, the next time you're on here, you know, you pick today's movie, but I'm going to pick the next one and I'm going to hope and pray that uh, you don't hate it. So um, we talked a little bit about your background, where you, you got into movies, S- sort of similar with me. Like I didn't go, I, I, I have one theater experience when I was a kid. My sister took me to see the Lion King down at the palace. I remember sitting in the balcony and my mind was blown. And I, I did not go to movies until I was maybe middle school or high school at best. And that was just, to, you know, to go with girls and socialize, not really to see movies, mm-hmm. um, at least in middle school. And then I got into high school, but it was like, we were too poor to actually go to theater. So, um, we had a neighbor over on Greenbrier, his, uh, my friend, his dad worked at Montgomery Wards was like the, the head of electronics. And so he had like the dual head or the, the, the VCR with two slots. So you could put a tape in one and just copy it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It was like, you know, if you guys buy the blank tapes, I'll make you a copy of whatever you want. And that was like <laughs> dangerous. You know, we were the, we didn't have the plastic cases like your dad. We weren't, uh, you know, that fancy uh we just had the the old cardboard and written and you know pen you cross out if you copied over a movie and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing but their collection man i mean they they were like they had plex in their living room on vhs yeah you know they had uh just netflix and all the streamers right there they they copied everything they could get their hands on and they had an entire wall in their living room that was just movies yeah, the uh, we used to go to the theater a lot. We used to go to the palace. Then we would go to the one out in the mall when it was where. Jeez, uh, I don't know. Marshalls. Marshalls. No, no. Well, no, no, no. It was used to be. Oh, shoe carnival! Be, I think there used to be like Rex, electronics yes. or whatever where it used to be. Yeah, we, now now it's shoe carnival. Yeah, we used to. I used to. We used to go out there and. Uh, I saw a lot of movies in the theater as a kid, you know, so all the Batmans, I, one that always stuck with me that I had a good time was we went and saw Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck as a kid. <laughs> and uh, that was actually the first DVD I ever owned. Nice. Um, and my, for Christmas one year, I got a DVD player and I got, uh, Mr. Baseball and the big Lebowski. So that's a good start. Like, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And then I think my mom got me like reindeer games or something because it had just coming out. I got uh, my first DVD was a double feature um, on one disc. It was a flipper disc, Porky's 1 oh. and Porky's 2. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The old flipper discs. Yeah, I still have it probably. I don't think I ever upgraded Porky's to Blu-ray. I didn't really necessarily think the shower scene needed to be in HD. but uh, Yeah, I think the only flipper disc I still have, I still have a few DVDs. Everyone all digital, but I think the only flipper disc I still have is uh, uh, Camp Nowhere and Tammy and the T Rex. Oh, that's a that's probably worth something now. <laughs> I got that for uh, for from a book catalog, believe it or not, for like five bucks. I've never seen the original cut of Tammy and the T Rex. Like it's it's you, interesting. Do you know the history of that movie? I do. I do not. I have just absolutely. I just actually only watched it once or twice 
Um, I showed it at my birthday. Like I always do the double feature at the Capitol for my birthday. I showed it two or three years, three years ago, I think, or two years ago. There's a, there was a cut of the movie that has sat on the shelf from its original release until 2019 called the Gore Cut. And it was like X-rated. Um, because they hired they hired the special effects guy who did like a bunch of the Friday Thirteenth movies to do these crazy special effects. So there's like exploding heads, um, like the dinosaur stomping on people and smashing them into like like watermelons, like their heads explode, um, necks are slit, uh, brain surgery, all this, all these crazy, crazy, absolutely disgusting gore scenes. And they showed it to the studio, and the studio's like, "This is a fucking kids movie. We can't put any of this in the movie." And so that whittled down and re-edited to the theatrical cut of Tammy and the T-Rex. And, um, you know, obviously it bombed because they didn't know what to do with it. They put it out hoping to capitalize on Jurassic Park's popularity. That didn't happen. Um, no. And, and there's rumors about this cut for years and years. And finally, somewhere, they found, like, an original film uh, reel of it. I don't know where, but they restored it. It's in, You can get it in, like, 4K. And it's yeah. it's a very, very – it still has all the kid humor – but it has like brains and blood and guts. It's awesome. I'll have to see if I can find it. Yeah, I mean that's a. It's a surprisingly had a young Paul Walker in it. Yeah, and um, oh, what's her name? Denise Richards. Denise Richards. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, the the. It's just it's such an incredibly bizarre movie. I, I yeah. like I said I need to see the theatrical cut because I. I've heard that it's even weirder than the gore cut because of how much they had to edit out. Like it's just a bizarre movie. No, hey, next time you're over, I'll uh, send it home with you. <laughs> I was gonna say you might want to throw that bad boy on eBay. I don't know. Um, it might be worth something now. Oh, nobody's getting my copy of Camp Nowhere. I looked forever for a copy of Camp Nowhere. I, I think I still have it on like a regular DVD. I think I got it for as a gift, like for Christmas years and years ago. Oh, that was that was one of my go tos as a kid. Is that the one? Is that that's not the Daniel Stern one, is it? Is that the? No, uh, that's the Bushwhacked. Uh, okay, that's uh the one with Christopher Lloyd in it. Yes. Okay. We. I mean, the '90s were like stock full of kids' camp movies. Yeah. Yeah. Some good, some bad. I. I still think Heavyweights is the the MVP. Oh, he- Heavyweights is is can never be beaten. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, it's just there's too many good lines in it, and <laughs> and uh, uh, Stiller is just you know the the yeah. at all time prime in that movie. Yeah, that's just him over the top at his best. Absolutely, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, speaking of heavyweights, we're going to go to a heavyweight movie and talk about one that you recommended, one that I have never seen. Uh, if you read the title of this podcast, you know what it is, and we're going to talk about Gangs of New York. New York was a city full of tribes, war chiefs, the gates of hell. Flutter. Never look away. You, whatever your name is, what is your name? Amsterdam, sir. Amsterdam. I'm New York. Now everything you see belongs to me, to one degree or another. So why didn't you dance with Johnny? Because I didn't want him. That's the building of our country right there, Mr. Cutting. Americans are borning. I don't see no Americans. I see trespassers. There's more of us coming off these ships every day. I heard 15,000 Irish a week. Go back to Ireland, you dumb man. Get all of us together, and we ain't got a gang. We got an army. Somebody steals from me, I cut off his hands. He rises against me. I cut off his head, stick it on a pike. Challenge. Challenge accepted. 
and my challenge. We are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. And all you need is a spark, right? Just one spark. Who holds sway over the five points? And the sky is on fire. Us natives born with this fine land. Barren horse defiling it. Okay, Gangs of New York was released December 20th of 2002, written by Jay Cox, don't laugh, um, who only has seven writing credits, including this movie, which really surprised me. Um, we have Steven Zalian, who uh, did the screenplay. He did Schindler's List, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mission Impossible, American Gangster, Moneyball, The Irishman, and more. So he's got quite the uh, resume. And Kenneth Longeran, who also wrote Manchester by the Sea, Analyze This, Analyze That, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, which I only put on there because what the hell. And <laughs> two episodes of Doug. Yes, the animated series with the guy with the big nose. Um, directed by the master Martin Scorsese. I don't need to listen to any of his stuff. You know it all. If you don't, why are you listening to this? Um, music by Howard Shore, who did Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit trilogy, um, Aviator, amongst others. Uh, cinematography by Michael Ballas, who did Goodfellas, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Departed, a bunch of great films. Uh, our cast here is stacked. I'm not going to list everyone, but just the uh, top build. We got Leonardo DiCaprio as Amsterdam. We have Daniel Day-Lewis as Bill the Butcher Cutting. Cameron Diaz as Jenny Everdeen. Jim Broadbent as Boss Tweed. John C. Riley as Happy Jack. Henry Thomas as Johnny Sicaro. Sirico. Sirico? Yeah. Liam Neeson as Priest Valen. Brendan Gleeson as Walter Monk McGinn. Gary Lewis as McGloin and Stephen Graham as Shang. Um, so what a, what a cast. I had never seen this movie. Somehow passed me by. Um, and it's been on my list. Like everybody who sees my uh, letterbox list thinks I have some kind of personal vendetta against Martin Scorsese because I have big gaps of uh, his films that I just haven't seen, including this. Um I Taxi Driver is probably in my top three films of all time, right up there with Halloween. I just love, love, love Taxi Driver. Um, and I've seen all of his new stuff, but 2002, this is celebrating 20th anniversary next year. That's yeah, cool. it's a, uh, he's, he's got so much good stuff that, you know, I can say Gangs of New York is in my top 10, obviously. And it's not even my favorite Scorsese movie. So, you so, know, that's that's how good he is. So what's your next fa- what's your favorite Scorsese movie then? Oh, it's Goodfellas. Uh yeah. I I mean, I didn't want to just jump to that conclusion, but you know, <laughs> that's that's I feel like everybody has to you know, sort of up there as as everybody's, but I still yeah. I still say Taxi Driver might be up there it's, more. It's very good. It's very good. I enjoy Taxi Driver as well and I am also a big fan of Casino and The Departed and I really love The Aviator and I love most of what he does. Well, so uh, so out of everything, you know, we discussed back and forth. We've been talking about recording for a while. Why Gangs of New York? Like, what is it about this movie that you absolutely love? I think it is probably the finest piece of acting I've ever seen anyone do by Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I thought you were yeah. gonna say from uh, <laughs> from Cameron Diaz. Um, no, she's pretty good in it for Cameron Diaz. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, and if you can get past uh, Leo's uh, questionable Irish accent, um, 
other than that, it's it's a fantastic it's fantastic. Like he from the opening scene when he just kind of shows up in the snow and he's just kind of staring at you. Daniel Day Lewis just captures the movie in a way that you don't see a lot of people. Maybe I don't think I've ever seen anybody just dominate a movie. Yeah, I was I was watching. I had, you know, obviously a little bit of knowledge on who'd made this movie and I remember a bit of it the promotion I would have been a sophomore in high school. Yeah. But um I wasn't quite like deep into movies like I was like I am now. You know, it was sort of like oh this is like uh, highbrow stuff. This is going to be award bait. This is not my type of thing, but um what a performance from him and and just watching this movie, like without really even knowing who's in it. It's like, obviously I knew Leo and Daniel day Lewis were in it, but um, Cameron Diaz, I'm like, what the fuck? How does she get in the Scorsese movie? Right. Uh, And, and it's nothing against her personally. It's just sort of like, this isn't, he's not the kind of director that, that cast does any kind of stunt casting of like beautiful women just to be beautiful women. But also this is like a heavy movie for someone who mostly does, like thin comedies, you know, light comedies, which nothing like, again, nothing against her. It's, you know, something about Mary's fucking awesome. She, she's great in the mask. She's great in a lot of things, but what a strange. And, and of course, I think a lot of people think of comedy when they see John C. Riley. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And, but he's, you know, he, he was actually a very serious dramatic actor before he, we realized he was funny. Um, so that didn't really surprise me all that much. Uh, every time I see Henry Thomas, I'm like, damn good for him because yeah. most people <laughs> get get fucked over when they're a kid star you know you, yeah. you do you do et and that's it like you're gonna be doing convention signing et posters for the rest of your life but not him man like he's still going i he's still in a lot of great great stuff and you know it, it's just like something that like grabs my heartstrings to see like well, him, him move on and, and do a fucking scorsese movie like fuck yeah good for you man well i knew when you said that this is the one we were going to do. We decided on that. I was like, oh, he's going to love the fact that uh, Henry Thomas is in this. Like he's going to put, he's going to catch that right away. And he's going to love that. Yes. E.T. It is pretty cool. Yeah. E.T. is probably one of my top five. Uh, I, I just watched it at a hotel um, the other morning, but um, Liam Neeson, uh, I did not know, you know, spoiler. If you haven't seen this, stop listening. But um <laughs> it's a bummer. Like it starts off so strong and you're, it's like, this is badass. And then he's killed within like what? 10 well, minutes. It's it's a typical, like f- for some reason, Liam Neeson's either in the whole movie or he's in it for 30 seconds. There's another movie that I absolutely love that a lot of people haven't seen. It's a Ridley Scott movie called kingdom of heaven. And it's got a, like Orlando bloom in it and whatnot. And uh, it's set, Right around the time of the, a uh, little bit before the first crusade. And uh, he's, spoiler alert, he's in that movie for about the first 20 minutes is all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he gets he gets killed off. And then he just, he sometimes he just has these roles where he, po- he, he lends weight to a role. Very, you know, there's obviously you realize immediately, oh, this is an important character because it is Liam Neeson. And, uh, but... Yeah, he probably did about a day and a half of filming, I'm guessing. Yeah, I imagine this is, I mean, he probably used them sort of like, and this is probably a bad example, but um, it had the same effect when they used Drew Barrymore in Scream and she was on all the posters and Mm -hmm. and the trailers and she's killed immediately. And it gives you that, oh, fuck moment where it's like, 
it's super heavy because you yeah. know you see Liam Neeson. This is what ten years after, maybe longer after uh, Schindler's List. He wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't at the Taken level where he's just playing an action star. He was right. still considered a and and I still like him, but you know he his his stock has gone down significantly over the well, last twenty he, years. He's he's done what. Bruce Willis is the worst now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it's just, hey, this sounds like everything else I've done for the last five years. I'm in. Yeah, how's the paycheck? Okay. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, every time I turn on the TV, I see Bruce Willis in a new fucking movie. Yeah. That you know, I, I don't. I, somebody get a hold of that guy. Just knock it off. Yeah. Every time you uh, check any streaming service, he's got four yeah. movies that never made it to theaters. Uh, yeah, at least it's not a new Die Hard, so I guess we should be thankful for that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and this movie is stock full of like those guys where you see and you're like where do I know him from? I kept doing that after I, I make sure when I'm watching a movie for the podcast, I put the phone away, no distractions, but I, my, my fingers were itching. Like I want to get on IMDb and look up every actor I'm seeing that has like two or three scenes or he's a side, he's like a gang member or he's a side character. I'm like, where the fuck is that guy from? You know, one of those yeah. things, uh, this Brent, ha- Brendan, this- yeah. Brendan Gleeson is in it is, is, is monk. And I, Brendan Gleeson is in, is in so much stuff. I love him. You know, he was in Troy and he's been in so many things that, yeah, he's, he's, he's really good. And but yeah, there's just, you see this person there, or see that person there and you're like, yeah, I, I do the same thing. Yeah. This was one of those, like one of those, I mean, there's just so many people that needed for this movie that I imagine, you know, it was just like, and at this point, Scorsese was, you know, well before this, he was a huge enough name, but it's like, everybody wants to be in one of his films. So everybody's going to jump in, even if it's like a cameo or a side character. I mean, uh, I had read and I'll probably get to this eventually in the trivia that um, originally Liam Neeson was going to be playing monk. And then he decided he would rather play priest Valen. Um, I don't know if it was like, well, can you give me the same paycheck and I just play the priest or, uh, (laughs) or if it was like, you know, I feel like um, this character is more, in my lane or I don't, I, that seems like an odd choice to be like, no, I want a smaller role, but I guess it's technically a little more important. I don't know. Well, it's probably, I mean, it, it outside of bill, the butcher, it probably is the most impactful role on the movie is if he does not get killed, then none of the events after take place. So, I mean, the whole movie, even though he's not in it, you're still, Oh, he's the son of Priest Valen, or we're you know celebrating Priest Valen, or Daniel Day Lewis is talking about the beating that Priest Valen put on him to make him the man he is, and so it's a very impactful role for being, I don't know, what is he on screen for five minutes maybe? Yeah, right about there probably. Um, and and like I said, I, I this is what I've always appreciated about uh, Marty's movies is that like even though this movie is almost three hours long, there's not fat on it, which um, there's, I don't know. We're in this, another weird sort of wave where like these Marvel movies are hitting two and a half hours and, and they're expertly paced, but like we, we shouldn't be making three hour movies just to make three hour movies. And Marty doesn't do that with this. Like this did not feel like three hours. Um, I, I actually went over to uh, Blake's house and watched it on his like really nice big screen projector. And, uh, with the surround sound and the sound design. It, I think when you were saying like earlier about like the sound design, like I don't notice it as much at my house, even though I have a, a like theatrical setup, like Blake has a very expensive one. And it was like, 
weird because you would hear like a character coming up from behind you and you know and it's like much more appreciated when you're watching something like this um but but the basic story of this movie um is set in the 1800s about uh it's uh the five points in new york city um starts off with like a badass battle scene like right away like we see this scene where this little boy is learning uh, like sort of like talking with his dad hands him a razor blade and said what's he say something like don't don't wipe the, off the blood or the blood the stays blood, the blood stays on the blade yeah and uh and then they go marching and we're sort of learning as we go like okay they're they got dead rabbits and they're picking up guys as they march um you know and that's sort of how we're introduced to some of these characters for the first time and so we see their faces as they join the uh the march they go out the door and they meet up with uh the butcher's gang and several other gangs it sort of right away reminded me of like a more badass version of the warriors where we had like, yes yes you know, the, the baseball players the the furies and, yeah and, and everybody it's like they, they you know they had like face paint and clown stuff these guys fucking like we're the we're the top hat gang we're the guys that wear skirts we're the guys that have dead rabbits uh I don't really remember any of them, but the dead rabbits. Like, what else do you remember? Any of them at the top? Of your head? Uh, the plug uglies, yes. the O'Connell guard, uh, the Chichesters, the Forty Thieves. Oh, Forty Thieves was cool. Uh, yeah, um, the Heishis, right? That was later. Okay. Oh, uh, they didn't join that fight. Um, <laughs> I, I think that was, I, and then Bills. Bills. I mean, if you don't know, obviously, Bills uh, was born in america in a time full of immigrants so his gang is the natives right so people who are you know born there had the right to be very 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 trumpian i was just gonna say yeah (laughs) very reflective of our current times where it's like go back to where you came from it's very i I was sitting there and i rewatched it for the hundredth time for this and is bill's given his speech about how you know who holds sway over the land us natives born right wise or the foreign hordes defiling it. I was like, man, Trump must've watched this and just given it like his campaign speeches and just took inspiration from it. <laughs> he tried to get Daniel Day Lewis yeah. as his uh, VP. Yeah. Now he, like, like you mentioned earlier, man, and, and we'll talk about it throughout this episode, but he demands a screen, right? When he steps oh. on it. Um, I don't know. Like if I could, I, I, I imagine there's a commentary on this, on this DVD about, um, all the shit they went through on set. And I have a little bit in the trivia, but this guy is notorious for his method acting. When we were watching it, I kept telling, uh, Blake and Nikki, I'm like, I bet he stinks. And they're like, why? And you know, Nikki's like, why? And I'm like, he probably didn't shower this whole time. Like his, his hair grease is probably legit hair grease. I imagine <laughs> he is not bathing as if they would not bathe back then. I bet, you know, He's just he's that kind of dude, but um, they have this epic battle at the beginning where it's just like blunt weapons basically, um, and the two sort of head guys are the priest Liam Neeson and the butcher Daniel Day Lewis, um, and the and the butcher's literally carrying a cleaver. Oh yeah, he's, so I mean you know he's 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 legit just hacking at people. Right, and and this was an interesting scene because they do some editing that is sort of of the time like the 2000s where there's some really mm-hmm. weird scenes where it like speeds up or it's blurry yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't love that but other than I that did not either. yeah and some of the music was weird I did, that, that when we were talking about soundtracks earlier with this movie some of the musical choices uh, i did not really like i think you could have just left sound effects in for the battle myself 
Yeah, but you know, it does. It didn't take away from the movie for me. I just think uh, if he were to make this today, I'm surprised, sort of surprised that score that Marty doesn't go back and like, you know, do a recut or something of this. And uh, but it would be, you know, it, it's it's of its time. I mean, he's not the only one who's who's done that. And at the time, it was probably really cool. Um, they even used like a U2 song in the credits, which I was like, this is very 2002. Yeah. But, uh, just a badass opening scene, a way to open a film is just like a fucking, you know, weapon war. Um, and that's where our, uh, priest is, he's murdered, he's killed in battle, um, by the butcher. And it's sort of like, a another thing of the times where it's like, you know, you just don't kill him and walk away. Like it's an honorable kill. He's, he's honored to kill him. And it's like an honor to die in battle. Um, and then it's sort of a, uh, controversial thing where the dude like comes up and he's got the notches on his bat. He sort of t- <laughs> takes shit out of his coat. Um, while his son's watching, yeah. um, Amsterdam is watching. And, uh, then we flash forward 16 years and that's sort of where this movie really kicks off. And it's about, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Amsterdam, who's now who's been sort of uh, was he locked away for the whole 16 years he's taken yeah. he's taken yeah, he, then he's, he's basically put in kind of like what i would guess would be like a juvie yeah is, is what, i want to go back to the battle though if you don't mind real quick what go i've ahead. never understood about that is every there's i don't know hundreds of people fighting right so all of a sudden in the middle of all this chaos bill kills priest valen and then the fight's over immediately Right, like, okay, right? we're all done, yeah. Why didn't them two just fight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, why risk everyone else? I don't know, because it looks like, fun. You have nothing else yeah, to do back it's then. like, hey, if this is between you two, and that's how we're going to settle this, then by all means, homies, go at it. And then I'm just kind of going to wait over here. You yeah. Know? Because then all of a sudden, yeah, it's like, oh, wait, I, you know, if if Priest kills Bill, does that mean the fight's over? Or, yeah, I, I, I never understood that. And then, yeah, you talk about the honorable kill and, one of my favorite things is like he talks about how ears and noses are the trophies of the day. So you cut off the ears and the noses of the people you killed and you can keep them as souvenirs, but nobody could tr- touch Priest because he was going to cross over whole in honor because he respected him. And it's just like it's civilized, but it's also, buddy, you just said ears and noses were the trophies of the day. Right. And it comes back later. You know, we'll jump all over, but it comes back later, like when Amsterdam, you know, challenges him, to, challenges the butcher to the fight. It's sort of same, the same respect is there. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're within like, you know, earshot of each other. You know, they could they could literally kill each other, but it has yeah. to be this way at this time. We have to set a time. We have to get all our people. There's even a scene where like they show up for battle and he's like, oh, this is a nice spectacle, but you're not ready. Like, mm-hmm. he, he has too much respect to just take them out. Like, I want you to have a fair fight. And it's just like civilized chaos. Uh, and we were sort of like Nikki and I were even talking about it last night. She's like, you know, it's sort of crazy to think like how this isn't that long ago, like and how much has changed, you know, like it's just crazy to think like that, you know, this is based on a true story. Like this shit really did happen. This kind of thing, you know, this is how yeah. it, this is just how it was. Uh, obviously doesn't fly today, but uh, it's sort of, you know, Amsterdam, he comes back. Now he's all grown up and handsome. He's Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, he comes back to the five points and they assume at first that he is an, an Irish immigrant, but he's just been, he says down the road, but it's like down the river a bit. But um, 
he comes back and he meets up with his sort of newish newest newish friend Elliot from uh, ET. Uh, Henry Thomas is Johnny, so him and Johnny are sort of hanging, and eventually, um, and, and like I said, we don't have to go beat by beat, but eventually, over time, he sort of builds the trust. He he gets in on Bill the Butcher through. Uh, Johnny and his gang, they're sort of like the henchmen for the Which butcher. also includes uh, Tommy from Snatch. Yeah. <laughs> Which there's another one, just a, a random character that is in, a, is in a Scorsese film. Yeah, and, you know, there's he just has these, like, groups of guys, and, you know, some are higher up, some are higher or lower down. Um, it just sort of depends on how the butcher feels about you. And at first it's sort of like it seems as if the butcher's onto him, you know, he's a little cautious about who he lets in on a circle. He doesn't just accept anyone, but uh, the butcher sort of has like this hold over the entire city of New York. Like everybody has to pay their dues a little bit. He gets a little bit of everybody. Um, it's just like a power thing. You know, it's like, it, it's, it just doesn't work like that anymore, but it's like back then. And, and then we, you know, you, it's, it's the same story as, as uh, Goodfellas, just, uh, you know, older. It's very, it's yeah, it's very mafia. You know, you gotta, you know, they they rob a house or they rob, uh, they take that dead body off that ship, and you know, you gotta go pay the butcher his piece. Yeah. You know, and it's basically just to not get on his bad side because, as you find out throughout this movie, that's not a good place to be. No. Nope. He's just, it's just. He's so measured at some points and so completely off the wall at some points. It's absolutely fascinating to to watch, as, like I said, his performance. And I mean, right from the beginning where he starts screaming and you see that crazy look in Daniel Day-Lewis's eyes and you're like, this dude is like legit scary on a movie. You know, he's, you can just like feel the rage in the performance. It's just it's amazing. Yeah, just a, a not, not only just a great performance, but a cool character to you know. I'm sure that's why he jumped on it. But it's like he's this tall, skinny, sort of weird dude with like a curly mustache, a tall stovepipe hat, um, a glass eye with what, what's on there like a bird or something. It's an it's an eagle, American an eagle. eagle. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's distinguished, but he's also he knows he holds the power over everybody, so everybody's sort of tense around him all the time. Uh, he can, he gets away with whatever the fuck he wants to, cause he's the butcher. And he also cut that, he cut his own eye out. Yeah. They, they do get into that. He cut his own eye out cause he couldn't look at priest Valen when he was coming to kill him the first time. And so, yeah, that's, he's cut, cuts his own eye out and sends it to him. So that kind of lets you know that he's a, a little bit off the wall. Yeah, and I was a little surprised to hear that Daniel Day-Lewis didn't actually cut out his own eye for this role. It would not have surprised me. I mean, after, I, I believe it was what my left foot. Yeah. But he drove the crew crazy because he refused to get out of the wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he I mean, he's retired now, but he was a lunatic. And, well, uh, you know, hopefully he, not. he got, he got these, well, I had read even that, like, Marty had to convince him out of semi-retirement for this. Like, yeah. in 2002, he was already, like, one foot out the door. But, um, you know, he just, the style, like, he's wears, like, plaid pants with, like, a patterned vest uh, with a weird jacket. It's almost, you know, it's it's very uh, loud and and uh, I don't even know what you call gaudy, I guess, but um, he's just sort of like, a, he, he even the way he walks, we're like, mm -hmm. he's, he's got like a fuck you walk. As he's yeah, walk, it's, it's, it's kind of half bow-legged and, you know, it's, 
it's fantastic. Yeah, it's like daring somebody. I don't know if any of the listeners have ever heard of the band Gogol Bordello, but he, the lead singer of Gogol Bordello, dresses exactly like Bill. <laughs> what is like, it? Like a yeah. steampunk or something? They're kind of like an. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. They're European, like they're rockabilly, not, maybe. Yeah, kind of, they're a little different. But I mean, he's out there in the plaid pants and the mustache <laughs> and everything. He, he loved gangs in New York. We'll put it that way. One thing I I almost uh, and again it's not I I don't try to nitpick movies but it, it comes up on podcasts I will just say uh, I just didn't really need the love story between uh, Cameron Diaz um, Jenny and uh, Amsterdam I just I mean there's moments where like you know he she's sleeping in in the bed with him and he wakes up to the butcher sitting next to his bed draped with an american flag and that speech is awesome like that moment yeah. is super tense but it's like i i guess if it brings us that it's worth it but it just seemed like i i knew right away exactly what was going to happen with her as soon as i saw her like bump into them i'm like oh he's going to fall for her and then it's going to and I, I i literally said to nikki i'm like johnny's going to get jealous because that's the girl he likes mm-hmm. so he's going to go rat He's going to go rat on uh, Amsterdam and tell the butcher who he is. Um, I, I didn't really see the the sort of coming back, uh, you know, Johnny coming back after doing that and apologizing and, and paying the ultimate price. But um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily think it was even the fact that Cameron Diaz did it because this is probably her best performance, but it's also the best written character she's ever had to play. But um, I, I don't think it's necessarily her. I just think that it's an empty character. You know, it's just sort of like, I mean, they add a little bit to it when we see her scar, when we realize that, you know, she was uh, abandoned and the butcher basically took her in and raised her and then later on hooked up with her. Um, And she made it clear that, you know, he did not lay a hand on her until she wanted him to. um, She got pregnant, cut the baby out, dark backstory. But I just, I don't know. It, It just seemed like almost too simple for marty to have like her fall for amsterdam and that become a thing you know well it it she's she's very good in the film and i agree with you but the i guess the only part of the love story that made sense is it's a catalyst that leads into act two basically yeah you know because if you don't have any of that then you don't have which is basically it after what happens to amsterdam you have a basically almost a completely separate movie to a certain extent where he, you know, hero's journey to a certain extent rises up and we'll get there. But yeah, you, you have to have him because, you know, if he doesn't tell him, then boom, he kills him there. And then you're basically your movie is over. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, you know, I said it was like expertly paced and it is, but it's like a very, I, I was sort of curious watching this. I'm like, is Amsterdam, trying to make his way in so he can kill the butcher or is he actually just now falling for his charm? And now is just like, this is, I, I like the good life. I like right being part of this gang because it's, it's probably intoxicating. You know, you're around that guy that has all this power that can get you and get you anything you want. You get all the women you want. Um, you get all the food. You, I mean, and this time, you know, it wasn't, it, it, very different. Those things were hard to come by. He, well, he, yeah, this is we we didn't say it, but uh, when Amsterdam comes back finally as a full grown man, it is the middle of the Civil War. Yeah, so it is a bad time for the country, and especially the uh, the Irish who are just flocking off the boats. 
and and he has you know he doesn't have a dime to his name um and and slowly makes his way through the ranks with the butcher getting closer and closer and like i said watching this i'm like you know this can't end good eventually the butcher's going to figure out who he is and he's not going to like that but um I, I just was watching and, and i guess that's why marty's so good at and that's what you know the writing was good at where i'm like is he is he falling for the butchers because the butcher's one of those weird characters like he's despicable he's a piece of shit but he's so goddamn charming that you almost root for him you know he he's just doing the worst possible things he's taking advantage of everybody he's a racist he's a he's not a good guy he's a hothead he's he's just overall a gross dude but something about him man he's charming it's it's, it's very it's it's one of those anti-heroes that you halfway are kind of rooting for because you you were talking about that speech that he gives when Amsterdam is in bed with uh, Jenny and uh, he sits there and he talks about, you know, what made him a man and honor and things like that. And you're like, well, this dude, terrible as he is, does have a certain code that he lives by. Yeah. But this is the guy who, you know, I don't know, a couple scenes back stabbed a guy in the hand for not betting enough in a card game. Yep. So like, it's kind of yeah, it's, it's very it's very intriguing character. It's all over the place, but you find yourself not wanting to, but you like him and you kind of root for him. Yeah, it's and and that's what's great. You know, that's that's the Daniel Day Lewis in that. Like his performance is what's making that. And you know, I've, I'm a guy who watched a lot of horror movies, and um, this is such a unique villain. Like he is you know he carries fucking like gnarly cleavers and big kitchen knives and you know he throw he throws knives he's a master at throwing knives and he's always sharpening and he he's he's showing amsterdam how to kill by you know he, he even has like an interesting speech about the the pig and how it's the mm-hmm. closest like flesh to human and shows him how to kill by you know hitting the the kidneys and the liver yeah. and then you know hitting um, artery on the neck yeah but be careful don't don't bust your uh, blade on the rib either yeah you know, where to stab somebody is just as important i guess as why to stab somebody but but like you said it does sort of have like a story arc you know where it slowly builds to this point where um eventually he gets a little too close to the fire he pisses off his friend johnny johnny goes and rats on amsterdam to the butcher and the butcher finds out. So there's that super tense scene at the, it's like at the theater where they're watching a play with like Abe Lincoln in it. And he's like hanging up in the sky in the air. And I always, uh, as a kid, I always thought there would, uh, I, I would be going to plays and throwing tomatoes at people. Cause that was something like that in quicksand, you know, as a kid, it was like, these, these are things that are real life, but, um, I can't recall until seeing this, that actually happening. But, um, they're at, they're at this play and a dude tries to sneak up and, uh, shoot the butcher. Um, and that's when, uh, Amsterdam sort of almost jumps in and, and saves him, whatever. But, um, I don't, th- it's not quite, it's later after that is when, uh, we find out there, there's a really tense scene. Where is it? As it's at this like Asian. It's at a, like a, I don't remember what, like a pagoda or something. It's like, a, it's like a, I don't know. They basically a banquet hall, I guess, is kind of what you would call it. But yeah, and they're having this big ass party with all these yeah. like like these uh, martial artists doing like dancing and and really cool sort of uh, performances. And he shows up, and right away he gets a bad vibe. He sees uh, he sees Johnny like walking the other way, and he's sort of like, "What's up with him?" And then well, it's, it's like it's, it's the uh, I'm gonna make two points. One is like when Amsterdam saves his life. 
it's very terrifying too with Bill the Butcher when he starts threatening the guy with the knife, talking about how he's going to teach him to speak English with that knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is just absolutely just Daniel Day Lewis at his best. And then um, they uh, the party they're at at the Chinese theater or whatever is a party they have every year to celebrate the killing of, of Amsterdam's dad. father. Yeah. So that was when Amsterdam was planning his revenge. He was going to do it right there in front of everybody. Yeah, he's going to put on this big show, um, you know, do, get exact his revenge after all this time. So what about quite not quite a year has passed, I guess, at this point, um, because this is his I think this is the first party like this first celebration that Amsterdam has um, attended, you know, which is, like you said, celebrating the uh, death of his his father Um but it's interesting as we, as an audience, realize that the butcher knows the secret that Amsterdam, who he is. Um, and like I said, Amsterdam, he's sort of he's sort of having this bad vibe as he walks in, like something's up. But he's also tense because he knows that this is like, this is the moment. This is my moment to exact the revenge, the big night. Um, he sort of sneaks over to the table and and uh begins to pull a gun on him and he gets shot right or is it no he throws a knife first and then bill blocks it with his cleaver yes and then he's got two guns and then but he's tackled because they were anticipating it yeah and And then bill sticks him with a knife right in the gut and is it this is after that that intense scene with uh with uh jenny on the stage isn't it yeah, 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 yeah. Was, yeah. yeah, because that that makes sense. But that that scene was really crazy too. Like he pulls her on stage, and it's like, oh, do your you know normal routine, do your thing, and uh, he's doing the knife throwing, but he's purposely like making it worse than it normally is. Like way closer. He he takes the necklace off her neck, then makes her pick it up and throws it right by her hand. Then actually ends up cutting her neck. He's so close. Um, and, and Amsterdam's going nuts because at this point they're like a, a thing. Um, and yeah, that, that's when he comes down off the stage and, and this whole thing happens. So now it's out in the open. Like they're no longer boys. Uh, yeah. I mean, he puts a beating on him. He marks him up and, oh yeah. He puts, but, he puts like a knife in, in hot coals and, and burns his face. And then the reason he doesn't kill him is because you're going to go back to that bill the butcher code where he basically tells everybody who's watching and encouraging him to kill Amsterdam that this kid has not earned a death at my hands yet. Yeah. Basically like you're, you're not as honorable as your dad was. Yeah. So like, yeah, um, you're, you're not going to be no, you're not going to make your name off of just me killing you. Yeah. So that's what, man, that code, like it's just so foreign, you know, it's like, well, I mean, the guy throws a knife at you. He's dead set on killing you. And then you're like, Nah, not yet, buddy. Take yeah. a walk. Yeah, but times are so different, you know. It's like yeah. we we have to set up a, a time and you know a day, and we got to figure this out. And it's not like the next day either. Like there's a lot of time passes between this. You know, he sort of um, rests, and uh, him and Jenny like are talking about their future, and she's like, you know, you just need to get out of here. We need to leave, and he's like, I can't just leave. I I got business to settle. Like. I got to get healthy again. I got to get my gang of Irish Irish guys together. We're going to go after them. And, and meanwhile, there's like this big election going on. And we see, speaking of uh, a, a Trump, you know, we see a lot of like craziness going on in this election where it's like, well, we're out of ballots. He's like, 
Well, the ballots don't make the the votes. The counters make the votes. So yeah. go count, go count. Yeah, that is that is. I'm Tony. He's watched Gangs in New York. He thinks that's what <laughs> happened on election day. <laughs> uh, and and there's, you know, they they decide to actually push for a, a an Irish uh, sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. And fucking butcher just murders him in plain daylight in front of everybody. Yeah, and, this is this is Monk, who was generally considered also one of the best fighters in the five points yeah and brendan gleason's character who is not doesn't get a lot of screen time but he's he's an interesting character because he carries a shillelagh that he uh, marks with everybody he's killed yeah a big club if if you yeah. don't know what the fuck that is because i don't um <laughs> it's a big big fucking club yeah and so they they you know and it's interesting like we see a lot of these characters in that opening scene when he's just a little boy and then you know when he comes back it's like guys who walked with his dad uh happy jack is now like a corrupt sort of cop uh who who takes bribes and and takes what he wants and and just basically thinks he's like a mini um bill the butcher but but uh bill the butcher has him under his uh foot like basically you know he uses the the power of having a, a police officer at his disposal um so when he's killed that's a big deal because the butcher recognizes like you know i can't i had power over him but like you know he had a lot of power around here uh, that i don't necessarily directly have you know having a police officer um but when he does kill monk it's sort of like off his code it's like yeah he throws that cleaver into his back yeah and it's like there goes the code like he's he's just like off his fucking rails at this point but the problem, the problem with that scene, though, and it's, it's always bothered me, is you can see the cleaver, the rubber cleaver that he threw bounce off. Yeah. And they never fixed that during editing. <laughs> it's always bothered me. <laughs> I, I don't notice. know. I nit- yeah, I, I nitpick it, but it's just, it's one of those things. If you, if you watch it again and he throws the cleaver, you can see the cleaver bounce off and then, you know, cut scene up close. It's magically in his back. Well, it's just, it's, it's, it's frust- on, yeah, it's frustrating just because, uh, you know, Monk is like one of the guys you root for in this movie. And you, you just sort of feel at that point that it's like, well, he's at least safe for now because you know, the butcher has a code and he's just not going to just murder him in plain daylight in well, front of everybody. It's also led up to a few confrontations throughout the movie where it's implied that at some point these two are going to fight. Right. Actually going to have a fight because at one point uh, they pass each other on the street and then, Bill says something and then, oh, something about put my watch up on that lamppost. And he goes, you know, put it up there and find out. And then he goes, uh, Monk goes, soon. So it's implied that at some point these two Titans are kind of really good fighters or whatever are going to fight and you never get it. So that kind of, that, that payoff kind of sucks. Yeah. And then, like I said, it's just so off of his code where that is, it's pretty shocking because, and, but it's also just sort of like, he's so power hungry at this point, the butcher and yeah. he, he sees it slipping away as, you know, they, they elected an Irishman as, uh, as sheriff, like they somehow got, got past him, you know, somehow these, the, the people he hates so much are actually getting a little bit of a win that he's just like, you know what? Fuck you. I'll just kill them. And then that won't be a problem anymore. Well, I think it's also a case of, hey, you know, it doesn't matter how important you think he is. I can take him from you. Right. It's like, uh, once again, this is a display of power where it's yeah. like, you know, 
yeah, you can do all, do this all the right way and get him elected. Good mm-hmm. for you. He's he's not invincible though. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll take him out and then it, things will be back to where they were. Um, yeah. There's even that scene where they're like walking. They're they're it's like the funeral procession. They're walking through town and he's like standing on a porch, just sort of like smug, watching them smoking. And mm-hmm. you know they they want to confront him, but once again they also have a code where they're like, you know, I guess we're gonna do this proper. Right. And 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 Leo's character steps out, and you think, oh, they're just gonna fight. And he just steps out for half a second, and he says, "Challenge, nothing else, just challenge." And then Bill takes a takes a pipe out of his mouth, looks at him, and just goes, "Challenge accepted." Yeah. So, well, here we go. Yeah, and that's sort of it's interesting again because then we have these um, big riots that aren't really they don't really pertain to the story that we're following. They're just sort of these riots going on in town over the Irish immigrants who are sort of um, sick of being uh, treated like shit. So they gather in masses and they start, uh, once again, sort of, you know, reflective of our recent history. They just start looting um, these buildings and businesses. They're, they're smashing through windows. Even the rich, they're like eating the rich. They, they break into rich people's homes and just steal all their shit, ransack the houses, catch them on fire. Um, and, and it's so strange because in earlier, like right way at the beginning of the movie, um, we see like when a fire happens, competing fire uh yeah departments show up and then they fucking fist fight while a burn building burns down yeah then well then they they can't get anything out of the house that's burning so the guy tells them to go to the house next door to get their loot yeah yeah (laughs) and the guy's like you can't do that it's just my house and he's like too bad yeah then he takes then he takes a beating for it Mm -hmm. it's uh one of my favorite parts is while after they decide that they are going to fight they actually meet in a somewhat civil i guess uh discussion to find out what weapons we're going to use right weapons rules time yeah like let's let's discuss this yeah it's civilized combat here and then basically anything is okay and then somebody says something about pistols and amsterdam says no and then bill shows him respect and just goes i think he says good boy or something to him yeah he does okay. yeah, exactly. uh, every, uh, everything is perfectly uh legal i guess and respected but don't bring any firearms yep don't bring a gun to the to the uh, knife fight and bricks i think he said bats <laughs> no, yeah, basically yeah. anything blunt that you can cause trauma with bring it yeah and and a lot of uh bill's guys now that were under him are uh on amsterdam side so he sort of has a nice little following and the same people you know it's, it's sort of um reflective of like the times, because he's saying, you know, we can get you the votes, but he also, it's, it's like these voters can also be, you know, fighters for their sort of army. Um, yeah. Which they, you know, they get, they, they have strength in numbers, not so much in, uh, you know, great fighters or weapons or anything, but they just have the strength in numbers. Um, so then we sort of have our big final battle. And uh, as they're battling, these cannonballs start landing like on the battlefield, which I'm still not sure. Like, yeah, I didn't love that. It's like we, we build up to this big moment where we finally get Amsterdam versus the butcher. And it's almost pretty like, it's almost sort of ruined by, you know, them being at the right, the wrong place at the wrong time. It's like, yeah, we, no one told those guys, you know, oh, yeah. Amsterdam, the butcher are meeting at two o'clock <laughs> at the five points, you know, don't shoot cannonballs there. Give them like 10 minutes to fight. 
um you know we were sort of robbed but i guess you know as long as there wasn't another one of those like scenes with the weird slow motion editing that kind of the, yeah the, the blurry motion basically the the fight is kind of null and void by they both get caught in a blast and amsterdam is able to come out fairly unscathed and the butcher is basically already mortally wounded yeah so yeah you never get the the one-on-one confrontation that you're the, basically two hours of the movie is building up towards yeah a little bit of a disappointment but it's still you know i mean just the you know two and a half hours of the butcher is like he's in almost yeah. every single scene so yeah uh you know I, I won't fault it. it. It's not like it's a as a stinker of an ending. It's just sort of like uh, anticlimactic after um, all the buildup that we had. Yeah, well, I mean, he does finish him off with his dad's knife that he left on him in the yeah he, he left on him in the first scene. Yeah, he buries so, buries it in the bottom of that uh, sort of cave or building. I don't even know what that was. Basement of a church, I think, is yeah. what that is. Yeah, because they said that church like looks worse every year. It, like it's yeah. almost like they're trying to make it more dirty so, and run down. Yeah, there's a, there's a callback, like I said, where the the priest and Bill the butcher both finished off with the same knife, and which is, I don't know, I guess poetic, I guess, as opposed to you know when you find out that basically that throughout the movie that basically he killed him, but it almost like the butcher looked up to the priest is kind of a father and then to a certain extent and that's kind of how he at one point the butcher mentions he's never had a son while he's talking to amsterdam implying that hey you know i'm taking you under my wing i kind of look at you that way mm-hmm. so and then yep the butcher dies yeah and the butcher dies and uh that's sort of where we wrap up the movie well and then you got the very very cool scene of the the butcher being buried in that cemetery off yes. the island next to priest fallen and they also then do like a time lapse yeah, of, that, of the almost, cemetery yeah of new york growing around it and i think that's a very very cool scene yeah and it's crazy and it, this is in the trivia later but it's crazy like this is supposed to come out around uh christmas time in 2001 but, mm-hmm. it, but they pushed it back a year, and by the time this came out, the Twin Towers were gone. Mm-hmm. But they're still in the movie, which is yeah. sort of wild to think, like how much changed in that year that they held off on the movie. Yeah, the world changed, and yeah, New York changed. I mean, yeah, the skyline changed forever. Yeah, that's that's eerie, but uh, really cool sort of time lapse. And and I read a little bit about it, and you can still that that cemetery's still there, you know, with the, the actual people that are, you know, obviously there's not. Uh, bill the butcher uh cutter cutting is his last name in mm-hmm. this movie that's not that wasn't his, it was like william the butcher i think is what uh or it was bill the butcher his cool, name was, i think his last name was yeah so they they made him cutting which is you know cool way cooler but uh yeah <laughs> but it's crazy to think that there was somebody even remotely close to this fucking lunatic in well real life. yeah i mean a lot of the story is is very true i mean you talk about boss tweed is in the movie and tammany hall and generally considered about as corrupt as politicians in a, in a political party as you can get at that time you know, so the idea of them buying votes and making people go vote and all the corruption. I mean, that's just that's factual. You just they just interjected other characters and took some liberties with some other ones to kind of make a story around a real time, which I always I always enjoy that was when you got some it's based. You can 
create a story without going too far outside of it and still kind of have fiction, but you, you can still learn something from it. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously you got to uh, tweak things a little bit to make an interesting movie. If you stay 100% accurate, you're probably going to have a pretty boring movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing probably Bill the Butcher never drank a glass of fire at some <laughs> celebration, but it looks cool on camera. Oh, hell yeah. And, you know, I don't know if he had a glass eye, but, uh, you know. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool scene too after he dies they just zoom in on the glass eye yeah which i thought was that was a great great choice to uh kind of well, you know it's kind of a, a throwback to the beginning where they uh zoom in and you see the eagle and his yeah eye, you know, i do you know i like that but then again i don't like the don't 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 like how they cut in you know oh, what i mean the the super zoom yeah yeah and yeah. especially with the sound effect too with it it's like that's so Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like I said, a little bit of the times, but yeah. uh, forgiven. You know, the, I did yeah, a lot well, of I did a lot of stupid things in 2002. I just didn't do them in front of the whole world, uh, like Marty did. But um, I have all kinds of fun trivia. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with that. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I was going to talk a little bit about this movie's um, the uh, award season because it was nominated for like 10 or 11 Academy Awards and didn't win any. Yeah. Uh, it was up for Best Picture, which was uh, won by Chicago. Best Actor in a Leading Role for Daniel Day-Lewis, who lost to Adrian Brody in The Pianist. What a fucking shame. That's a travesty, man. Uh, Best Director, Martin Scorsese, lost to Roman Polanski for The Pianist. Uh, Maybe even a bigger slap in the face, because fuck Roman Polanski. Yeah, but I mean, it's just another... The... How many times Marty got screwed over is absolutely ridiculous, and then you finally give him one for The Departed. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, hey, we messed it up so many times in the past. Here's a consolation prize. Not, I mean, not, not anything against the Departed, but right. Come on. I mean, same thing with Leo. You know, when he won his for Revenant, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, really, this one? But um, best writing, original screenplay. The winner was Talk to Her. That's what it lost to. I've never even heard of that. I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't know. That one's not on my radar. Uh, it was up for best cinematography. It lost to Road to Perdition. Which that movie was, a, was all right. Yeah, not a bad movie, but, uh, you know, it, it, whatever. Best Art Direction, it lost to Chicago. I could see that. Uh, best Costume Design, lost to Chicago. Um, <sighs> Man, that's ridiculous. I get they had the gowns and everything in Chicago, but, I mean, the period... Just look, piece just, that they put on here just look at daniel day lewis man oh, i mean come on uh i mean a little wave cap hey he went there, <laughs> that thing is awesome uh <laughs> it was up for best film editing it lost to drum roll chicago um best sound lost to chicago um best music original song from uh bono the edge and adam clayton uh for the song the hands that built america it lost to this is pretty embarrassing Lost to Lose Yourself by Eminem in 8 Mile. 
<laughs> Jesus Christ. Talk about of the times. It's crazy to think this came out the same year as uh, as Eight Mile, which actually yeah. I did on this podcast too. So you're telling me right now Eight Mile has more Academy Awards than the Kings of New York. You are correct. One more. Goodness. So, so does um, the Suicide Squad. Not not oh. the not the even the James Gunn one, the original uh, really bad one. Um, so I'll, I'll go over some of this trivia. We talked a little bit about it, but, um, I found this stuff interesting. There was tons of it on this movie. So I tried to narrow it down to what I thought yeah, yeah, yeah. was uh, the most interesting to simulate, to simulate bill, the butcher's fake eye. Daniel day Lewis had his own eyeball covered in prosthetic glass. Uh, he learned to tap his fake eye with the tip of a knife without blinking. Um, he also talked with his film accent during the entire time of production, even when he was not on the set, which is not surprising, but the, the fucking prosthetic eye thing where he was actually tape, tapping his, his knife on there. Like that was not in the script anywhere. He just did that. Well, to be honest with you, it is, I, I guess that's as close as he could get without actually taking out his own eye. That's yeah. So, you know, next best thing. Yeah. Just kind of, Hey, let's, let's maybe we'll dial it down a little bit for that. Daniel Day-Lewis employed two circus performers to travel to his home in Wicklow, Ireland, to teach him how to throw thin, sharp daggers. He also went to work in a butcher shop for several weeks to learn how to meticulously incise and gut carcasses. He's he is was this before or after he he was decided he was going to quit acting and be a cobbler for a while. I have no idea. He's a lunatic. Oh, I love him. He, I mean, that, that's he's so great, but he's out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> Here's another one. After once after the day's film, the day's filming was finished. Leo and Marty talked uh, Daniel Day Lewis into going out to eat with them. He refused to break character, and the waitress waitress was afraid to go near him. <laughs> so they're like eating at probably some like hole in the wall New York, uh, where you know I, I I'm guessing they sort of filmed it in that area, but I'm not sure. But uh, I imagine, you know, the, Marty and, and uh, Leo, you know, being who they are, everybody recognizes them. And then there's this fucking lunatic with a stovepipe hat and greasy hair and a curly mustache who won't break character. Like, yeah. Uh, this this is a surprising one to me, um, th- sort of throwing back to what we just talked about. Daniel Day-Lewis said in an interview that he listened to the music of Eminem to prepare for this role. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate uh he he became so uncomfortable with the greasy hairstyle he wore as bill the butcher that he shaved his head immediately after filming completed well there you go yeah i mean that was that's all that's all him i guess yeah that oh it was so gross um yeah that scene where he's sitting there talking to him in the bedroom and his hair is just like i'm like oh dude yeah uh, <laughs> that's Leon- so matted down and gross leonardo dicaprio accidentally broke daniel day lewis's nose while filming a fight scene of course uh day lewis continued to film the scene despite the injury which <laughs> later on dicaprio actually you know he cut his hand in uh django unchained and kept going and that's that scene uh, that's in- yeah i don't want to get off the thing here but man just talking about you know leo getting an oscar man he should have gotten an oscar for like supporting actor for that that was such a great role for him it was really good. I, I was sort of surprised looking back. I'd heard um, that, you know, he was in, maybe he was nominated for supporting in uh, what's eating Gilbert grape, but that's a great performance from him, yeah, man. Yeah. There's so many times over the years he should have gotten, and he got it for uh, the Revenant. Like uh, once again, just sort of like, why, why this one? You talk about a movie that's about an hour too long. Yeah. I, I Speaking of, uh, your boy that you don't like Seth or uh, yeah, Seth Rogen. He talked about um, 
and, and we're getting a little off subject, but it made me think of this. Uh, they were talking to him about like why the room is such a beloved cult classic because it's such a bad movie, you know, and this was when they were making uh, the disaster artist, which he was in and, and was like a producer on. And he was like, how many times do you go back and watch the Revenant? He's like, not, not ever, but there's people who go see the room like once a month, every month in a movie theater. And there's yeah. something to be said about, you know, even if this movie's really bad, it's fun and entertaining. But it just yeah. made me think of that where it's like, I, I've never, I saw the Revenant in theaters once. That was enough for me, but I, I'll watch the room with a group of people like, you know, all the time. It's just, I don't know. And I also don't get, and I will we'll get back on topic here in a sec. I also don't get how that's such a great acting performance when 45 minutes of the movie, he's just crawling. Right. You know, he's done so much better stuff. It's like, we put him through hell. It's like, well, that's not really necessarily acting, yeah. like putting no. him. Yeah. He's done such better stuff. Yeah. Uh, most of the gangs mentioned by name were real 19th century New York gangs. Bill the Butcher Cutting is based largely on a real-life New York gang leader, William Poole, who also was known as the Butcher and had much the same prestige as Daniel Day-Lewis's character. So we mentioned that a little bit. Oh, Billy Poole. Uh, Marty hired the Magician, an Italian man famous for a 30-year career as a pitpocket or yeah, pickpocket to teach Cameron Diaz about the art of picking pockets. So she actually learned how to do that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Marty and Leo both took salary reductions to preserve the budget for this film, which ended up being like a hundred million and it only made like worldwide gross is like 74. So it, it, it never did make its money back. It's, it's, it's a really good movie that, I mean, a lot of people, just kind of passed over. I don't know if they were intimidated by how long it was or what, but it's, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who just have not seen it. Well, like this guy here. Uh, yeah. It, it, for me, I think it's just, I don't, period pieces are tough for me at times, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think eventually I'll probably cover every Marty movie I haven't seen on this podcast. It's just a great way for me to like check them off the list and talk about them. Cause every, I feel like, almost every one of Marty's movies is someone's favorite Marty movie. Maybe not like um, raising the dead or some of the really weird ones, but uh, I don't think the color of money. I, color, I love the color of money, but I don't think it's anybody's favorite. <laughs> yeah. You never know though. There's someone out there yeah. who, who might uh, Bill the butcher has a scene with every main and supporting character in the film, a symbol of his vast influence in the five points. So that's well, sort of he's cool standing there in every scene though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the scenes where Bill the Butcher taps his glass eye and yells whoopsie daisy during the knife throwing act were both ad libbed, <laughs> which I, I would have thought were more of those were, uh, with, with that lunatic, like you probably get a lot of crazy shit out of him. You just imagine that coming into Daniel Day Lewis's head, like, Oh, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, just like half of that stuff. He wasn't really supposed to throw knives and are just like, yeah, let's, right. ju let's just go with it, man. He's, he's crazy. Um, Marty recreated 19th century New York on the lot of Cinecita Studios in Rome. Okay, so it was okay, in Rome. Yeah. Uh, this is this is great. You'll appreciate this. I put this one in, in there for you. When George Lucas visited the massive set, he turned to Marty and said, sets like this can be done with computers now. Oh, a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine him trying to give Marty yeah. advice. Like, right, yeah. You could have just done this on the computer. Yeah, and it'll look so great, and everybody will love it. <laughs> um, the original cut of the film ran an hour longer, so um, you know he did. He cut an hour out of this thing. I, I wonder is there like probably deleted scenes on the Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Uh, it's two discs. I know that. Okay. I, I don't. I mean, I obviously 
stream it off of my server, but yeah, I mean, I I have the disc somewhere, but it's I know it's two of them, so I'm sure there's quite a bit to it. Here's a little fun recasting. When the film was first conceived in 1978, Marty planned to cast Dan Aykroyd as Amsterdam and John Belushi as the Butcher. Oh my God! The project fell apart after Belushi died. A cast reshuffle had Mel Gibson as Amsterdam and Willem Dafoe as the Butcher. Willem would be sort of cool. I mean, you can't top Daniel Day Lewis, but if you have to, like, you have to get a, another lunatic he, like Willem. Yeah, he could pull off crazy. Yeah, and that Mel Gibson uh, is. I don't know. I, I I just can't picture Mel being young enough to ever play. That's what I was just gonna say. I mean, by by that time, Lethal Weapon had probably already cracked, and he was in, what, his mid-30s? Yeah, I mean, he, he's almost too old when he was Mad Max to do that, but uh, this one really blew me away. I don't know what Marty's thinking. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar was originally cast as Jenny. She had to back out because of scheduling uh, conflicts with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so he chose Sarah Polly for the part, but later cast Cameron Diaz after the studio insisted he pick a more bankable star. So... What a weird ways to go in this for this character. Like he never really had sort of a great person. I don't know. I guess my thing is I don't get where the studio is coming from because she's not pushed in the movie. You know, she's she's a part of the movie, an integral part of the movie to a certain extent. But nobody's going to see Gangs of New York for because they think it's a Cameron Diaz movie. Maybe they were hoping, like you know we have this weird period movie and there's Daniel day Lewis acting like a lunatic. Like how do we get the, the, the regular movie viewer in here? I don't know. They recognize, I mean, studios are dumb. They, their, yeah. their reasoning is, is yeah. always flabbergast me, but uh, I mean, it worked, it worked out. She was, she, she played it very well, but yeah, yeah I mean, you, you could have cast uh, an unknown actress in that role. Yeah. And I don't think the movie is going to change and it's, you know, I mean, she's not, it didn't even make budget anyway. So. Right, yeah. Um, Marty was a big fan of the film Oh Lucky Man and considered casting Malcolm McDowell as Amsterdam. Um, had Scors- Scorsese been able to make this film in 1978, he planned to cast, he also uh, considered casting Robert De Niro as Bill the Butcher. Well, of course he did. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's pretty much up for every role, and even female, whatever, any role in, uh, in a Marty movie. <laughs> yeah, Bill the Butcher sitting there. Are you talking to me? <laughs> talking to me? Uh, speaking of Cameron Diaz, she was unhappy that her six-week contract kept getting extended. She ultimately spent six months working on the film. So they, they went way over time and budget on this thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me with the aspect of the sets and the cast. and. Oh, yeah. Everything else. I mean, if he originally cut a four-hour movie, yeah. Uh, Marty said in the interview that he offered the first, he offered first the part of Bill the Butcher cutting to Tom Hanks. He loved the script, but had to turn it down due to his work on Road to Perdition. So I, once again, I always tell people take this stuff with a grain of salt. It sounds like we've had about six different people in contention that were offered right. this job. So it's I don't cool. know. Yeah, uh, it's like when you hear that there's a new Bond, and every actor in Hollywood who's English is in contention for bond. Right. Yeah. And after the fact, everybody always says, you know, well, they asked me to, but I turned it down or whatever. Um, Cinematographer, Michael Balhas was handed a lavish book of Rembrandt prints when he signed onto the film and was told by Marty that this was how he wanted the film to look like. So that's sort of cool. Yeah. Uh, I can see that, you know, 
uh, just incredible sets and the way this movie um, is shot is is beautiful. And for a period piece, it wasn't over filtered, which I really enjoyed. Sometimes they they over filter, especially in that time, like mm-hmm. the, two, the early two thousands. Um, we had a lot of sepia movies. Like yeah. horror was plagued with sepia tone, like yeah. Texas Chainsaw. All those movies, like they all are just look gross. Um, yeah. So I'm glad, yeah, that who that he decided not to do that. Um, the closing credits of the movie featured the Twin Towers. By the time it hit theaters, sadly, the towers were already gone, which we mentioned. Um, it is the only Best Picture Oscar nominee that year that not that did not win a single Academy Award. Um, and then I mentioned this one earlier. Elmer Bernstein was originally assigned to provide a musical score. Uh, Marty ultimately rejected his score and decided to take a more Anachron- anachronistic approach to the music, um, which I heard you can actually get like his rejected score on like I don't know if it's on Spotify now, but it, there was he was selling like the the composer or his family or someone was selling like CD copies at some point. Um, I'd be interested just to hear it on its own and see, or, or I'm sure someone out there's probably uh, you know put edited together their own cut of the movie with with some of his score just to see what it would have been like. Cause he sort of is a classic, like he, he did the score for, um, the great escape, which I did on the last episode. And he's done, he did like a lot of spaghetti Westerns in the seventies. So he was more, uh, like sort of like Sergio Leone or, uh, Maricone, just sort of a more classical, um, orchestral type guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, the spaghetti Westerns certainly did have, a their own sound. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been interesting. I'll probably have to look that up. I'm sure there's something on YouTube with um, some of his original score, but uh, that's all the trivia I have. Um, well, I heard one about that he got Daniel Day Lewis got very, very sick filming this movie because he refused to wear a coat that they offered him because it wasn't time period correct. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would not doubt that for a second. It's probably so. Um, believable and not that interesting that they didn't put it on imd because yeah. like it's like uh, just just another day for him right yeah yeah uh so did you have any final thoughts on gangs in new york um i just wish more people would see it to be honest with you because um you don't necessarily have to love them and it's i know it's a lot it's a lot of it's a big ass to watch somebody big ass to watch somebody uh for three hours but I mean, you could just watch the first ten minutes of it, and you could just see what a performance he puts on. It's it's the best performance I've ever seen. And this is a guy who, like I said, everything he does is amazing. There will be blood, Lincoln, My Left Foot. I mean, Last of the Mohicans. I love everything he's ever done. But this is by far and away the the best I think acting performance I've ever seen in a movie. It's such a commanding performance, and he didn't even win anything for this one. Well, it's, it's another one. I'm surprised I didn't sneak into the trivia is interesting that, you know, he, uh, he ended up playing Lincoln and then in this movie, he's, yeah. he's very anti Lincoln. He throws a knife yeah. through a picture of Lincoln. It's sort of his, uh, political opponent that he's against because he was accepting of immigrants and he was sort of the uh, first woke, uh, candidate president. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Interesting, you know, how the times change. It's, it's, Fascinating to me, what, what is about Daniel Day Lewis and what makes him, in my opinion, the, the best actor on the planet is, you see him in this and then you see him in Lincoln. It's complete transformations. You don't see Daniel Day Lewis playing somebody. You kind of see that character. 
And people love Tom Hanks. And I love Tom but, Hanks. But he's Tom it's Hanks. always Tom Hanks. Yeah, it's always Tom Hanks playing a role. That's why I never saw It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Because I didn't want to see Tom Hanks doing a Fred Rogers impression. Because it's always going to be Tom Hanks doing that to me. And like I said, I love Tom Hanks. But it's, you know, it's always the guy from Splash as far as I'm concerned. Or right. Big or, There's only a few know. people who can do this. And Gary Oldman's mm-hmm. another one where he can, he can sink into a character so much that you don't recognize him. Yeah, I mean, Leo's getting there. I mean, Leo's constantly gotten better. But, you know, there's there's a lot of people who are out there who are considered great actors, and then they have good performances, but they're good performances within their wheelhouse. Like we were talking about De Niro and whatnot. De Niro's good when De Niro can basically be De Niro. Yeah. You know, and... But, yeah, that's... A guy like this who can just kind of run the gamut, gambit is... Uh, Great. Like I said, Matt, Last of the Mohicans is, is one of my favorites, too, and not a lot of people have seen that one, but that, there's another one that he's uh, he's really good in. Yeah, yeah, and just, I'm, I'm what he did, uh, Phantom Thread, was that his final thing that he's he hasn't done yeah. anything since then, right? Yeah, it's, he's retired, like you said, maybe, but, it, I mean, even when he was working, he was only picking projects every, I don't know how long. And he was, uh, again, a real piece of shit in that movie, so... Yeah, I mean, well, he was a piece of shit and There Will Be Blood. Yeah, he sort of... Was, he's I gr- think was his one before Lincoln, so he had that gap between <laughs> movies. So he's got a huge gap. I hope he come, I hope somebody writes something that he can come back out and do, because I just... For me, he's not like a big box office draw for a lot of people, but for me, when he's in something, I have to see it. Just to see it? Just to yeah. see, like, what he's doing with that character? Yeah, it's just... it's. It's it's never not very it's it's always good it's it's fantastic. I was gonna say, can you think of anything that he's done that was that you didn't really like? No, not off the top of my head. Um, like he even did some old stuff where he was an Irish um, kind of. They pegged him as an anarchist. It was in a movie called In the Name of the Father. It's an older movie that he was really good in. I mean, he's he he's 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 really good in everything, but he's also a guy who. Like I said, does not have a lot of credits. Yeah, he pick, picks and chooses his roles. He's the yeah. uh, he's the um, Bizarro Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, Bizarro Bruce Willis right now. Yeah, well, and, and I always defend Cage. I'm like, you know, if you pick through that stuff, you'll you'll find good performances. He's a you'll great never actor. you'll never get me to badmouth. I'll badmouth some Nick Cage films, but I will never badmouth Nick Cage. Right, he's on. made too, he's made too much good stuff. I agree, and uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So just way too much good stuff. I mean, yeah, money problems will make anybody do some stuff, but this is the guy who gave us Raising Arizona and Snake Eyes and a dozen other films that I love. The Weatherman, Matchstick Man, just great performance. Leaving Las Vegas, great, great performances. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So um, if you're listening to this, we both recommend Gangs of New York if you haven't seen it, which looking at the box office, a lot of you haven't. Um, it's a shame that it didn't win any a single Academy Award, it blew my mind when I saw that on IMDb. I'm like, surely it had to have won something, makeup, uh, costuming, anything. And it's amazing how these, and this is why people stop tuning into the award shows. I mean, looking back through time, it's like, man, some of the mistakes they've made over the years are like so very evident because some movies just do not pass the test of time. Like five years later, did anybody give a shit about the pianist? Probably not. Uh, you know, I mean, I, who's who's, who's going to care about La La Land? Yeah, 
it, it's you fine. Know? It's fine. Yeah. You know, for but it's it's clearly made for Oscars, and that's yeah. Like Chicago, Chicago. Who goes and rewatches Chicago? I mean, maybe a musical lover. Yeah. But you know, you get you get stuff like this that is always worth a rewatch. It's it and if you are going to watch it, it it's a quick three hours. I promise you. It's not like you're sitting there like if you watch The Irishman, which feels like it's two and a half day movie, which there was Marty going way overboard. Thinking he needed to make a three-hour movie when he didn't. Mm. So, I, I and speaking of the Revenant, the Revenant, like, yeah, that could that's forty-five minutes too long. But it, this is, yeah, it's almost I think two hours and forty minutes or something. But it, you're not bored during it. You're not wondering when it's over. No, no, and uh, I thank you for for picking this one because now you know I just got to see that great performance. Finally, check it off my list. And uh, again, just so stoked to finally check out Kings of New York. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Mr. Strauss. It's been uh, good talking about Gangs of New York. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. We gotta we gotta get you to watch The Hustler next. Who's who directed The Hustler? Oh, I couldn't tell you who directed it, but it's got uh, George C. Scott in it, Paul Newman, Jackie Gleason as Minnesota Fats. It's a fantastic movie. I didn't know if it was another Marty movie I was missing off. My no, list. no, no. M- Marty did the sequel. The Color of Money is the sequel to it. Oh, shit. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, my listeners are probably always surprised by the shit I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> the one that comes up almost every episode. I've never seen Lord of the Rings, any of them. Uh, you know, and I, I just saw my first James Bond movie for the show, so... Uh, you know, nothing is off limits on here. And, uh, I'm just, this is the second Marty movie I've done for this podcast. And so I did mean streets, uh, very early on. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. That was fantastic too. It, it's just crazy to look at his career, Marty's career and see, you know, like that and taxi driver are so gritty and, mm-hmm. uh, sort of, you know, no budget old school, uh, filmmaking. And then this with these immaculate, sets and this costuming and it, what he can do with a hundred million dollars yeah well uh, i mean his next one after this i believe was the aviator which was also another big budget one and very well done a lot of people didn't like it i enjoyed it and that's another but, this is the first one with him and leo working yeah together. i was going to say when you were talking about casting beforehand and everything else if he didn't wait to make this and cast leo you wouldn't have like the 10 movies they've done together Right, Wolf of Wall Street, all kinds of great ones. Uh, yeah, got a new one coming out. Yeah, I love when uh, g- great directors like sort of pick their cast and just like stick with a, a group of them. You know, even even as weird as like Wes Anderson or something too. You know, yeah. you just get this. You, you know what you're in for. Yep. Um And it, it's you know he's Marty's known for his gang gangster movies, but it's it's interesting like looking at like Mean Streets versus Goodfellas versus Gangs of New York three completely different films could not be more different yet the the theme the story the gangsters overall the mafia it's all it all sort of encompasses like that's his life yeah i mean and then he, you know he branches out like the aviator and the wolf of wall street but then he goes right back to it with the irishman so it's it's always there um he's had a a great career in a lot of movies and i hope people don't think of him as just this guy who does mafia movies because there's a lot more to it Yes. So again, if you have not seen Gangs in New York and you somehow made it into like the hour and a half that um, we've we've talked here and we haven't convinced you um, somehow, go just go watch it. It's probably streaming somewhere. Uh, if not, uh, go find it. You know, go go buy a Blu-ray copy. Go buy a DVD. Go to your library. Your local library will probably have it. If you're a socialist, um, check it out. 
So again, thanks for having for being on the show, Strauss. It's great yeah. talking to you. All right, buddy. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast. <laughs>